All Systems Joe. We're going to steal a line from one of our live listeners in YouTube, Jeremy Park, saying All Systems Joe, meaning Joe Burrow is back. He is practicing. He's practicing at a more intense level than maybe some of us anticipated, but he's back at OTAs, as are all of the Bengals. We're going to talk about Joe Burrow. We're going to talk about all of those Bengals there. We've got a lot to get to. I'm Anthony Cazenza. Joined, as always, by the true talent of the program, John Sheeran and and Randall. We're joined by Randall, too, behind you. How you doing, John? We are doing splendid, man. Um, feels like it's been a long week uh, for whatever reason, but happy to be back here. Happy to talk about stuff that is happening on the field, I guess, per se, on the on the practice field. But, yeah, it's, we're kind of getting back into, into that groove, and it's right before... Another dreaded dead season, so we just got to take advantage of this while we can. Content is very dry, so we got to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I think there's been a little bit of that feeling um, in terms of you know some of the some of the content that has been put out. We'll, we'll maybe get to that in just a little while longer, but we've got, like I said, a lot to get to because the Bengals are practicing; they're on the field. All of the Bengals, it's not just the rookies, and. Uh, as you said, it's always nice when this team provides a positive respite from uh, and the Bengals don't always provide that in terms of, you know, you try and escape and watch them win games and all this kind of stuff. And, and it's not always rainbows and sunshine with the Cincinnati Bengals, but at least for this week, it is because John, in case you have been living under a rock, in case you did not watch our water cooler chat episode this week or listen to that this week, Joe Burrow has returned to practice and not only returned to practice, John, he has returned, at least to me, he's returned in a form that really surprised me. This I, I kind of expected him maybe being in shorts and uh, just kind of lobbing the balls around, maybe to some coaches, a couple of players here and there. I did not think it would be as structured as, as I saw and or the planting, the driving, and the velocity behind some of these throws. I was surprised, but he is back. Always a good sign to see that. Yeah, it was just an unknown in terms of like how involved he would be. So he's been throwing for, I guess, months now. And that's been a thing like he's been just working with the equipment trainers on the field at PBS. But it was always like, OK, like that. That's one thing. Right, is he going to be in, in any huddles? Is he going to do basically the majority of the work that a quarterback would do in May during OTAs? And for the most part, it does kind of seem like that. Now, there were limitations. I don't think. I believe every single play was just with an empty backfield. So there were no, there wasn't Joe Mixon next to him um, out of shotgun. There was no dropbacks. I think it was just plant, plant your feet, a couple of resets here and there to throw on the left and right side of the field. And I don't believe he threw more than like 30 yards down the field, even though he has been doing that um, in his rehab process. But for the most part, like you, you watch him and if you hadn't noticed the knee brace, you would think he's, he looks fine. Right. And that, I think is more or less what you would expect from a, a guy who claims that his right, his left knee is at 80 to 85% capacity compared to his right knee. Now I'm not a doctor. I'm not Dr. Neil um, Elitrash, but I, I feel like that is pretty damn well compared to being just under six months out of knee surgery. And then he, I think mentioned after the practice that he would like to go full go for training camp, which very much mimics what, I believe Giovanni Bernard did when he came back from ACL surgery in 2016. Obviously, Carson Palmer was full go um, when he suffered his ACL injury in January. It's just the thing with the Bengals, man. Like these guys, unfortunately, they suffer a lot of ACLs, but they always get them back very, really quickly. And I think it was obviously important for Burrow to be there on the field. And we can talk about that in, in a little bit as well. But just to see him, you know, be out there and do everything that they're asking him to do. And I think you heard from some players that like just seeing him, you know, break the huddle after the practice, lead the drills and just do everything that he's being asked. It it made you feel good. It made you feel like this is going as planned and like that has to have some type of a mental impact on a team that has only won six games in the last two years. This is Joe Burrow. I, I think this is unfortunately from a cell phone video, but it is courtesy of Ben Baby, our, our good bud from ESPN, um, sharing a little video there. And this is all part of an article. I think you put it together, John, on CincyJungle.com with a, a collection of throwing videos and stuff. This isn't even the most high intensity 
type of type of throws that I saw I saw him make. I'll try and pull up some others, but I mean there were some true dropbacks and the the thing here's here's kind of the news aside from some chatter about Joe Burrow's potential dental work. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of chatter about that, um, but aside from that, the the chatter really is how how much he has bulked up. Prior the day prior to these workouts, there was uh, some a video put out by Black Sheep Performance showing a workout. He looked like Burrow himself bulked up a bit. He talked about that in a press conference after practice. T Higgins also. A guy he was seen throwing to looks a little bit uh, toned up a little bit as well. And then, of course, you've got Jamar Chase out there. So, uh, I mean, these are guys that I guess are taking advantage of um, a little some fewer restrictions on workouts and just really getting after it this year. The other thing, John, you know, some of these guys are in their early 20s. T. Higgins is one of the youngest players on the team last year. You know, you're maturing, you're, you know, your body may still be growing at 21, 22 years old, especially as a professional athlete. So I think now you're starting to see the fruits of the labor in terms of workouts and that sort of thing. Um, and, and Burrow even noted it himself in the in the post practice press conference. So had he not suffered the injury, I think he would be doing similar work to improve where he wanted to improve, which was to increase his throwing velocity. Like that's been like the arm strength has not, not never been a concern, but it hasn't necessarily been a strength compared to other top quarterbacks in the league. So I think even if he wasn't doing these, I believe he, he quoted or cited like hip workouts that he was doing as part of the rehab. I think he would still be doing those type of exercises to improve that velocity. And we talk about this all the time with players coming back from injury it, in their recovery in the rehab process, they end up coming back kind of stronger because they're putting in the extra work to get back to where they used to be. And they end up honestly looking a little bit better and moving around a little bit better once they're back to full strength. So Burrow has made strides in areas that he wanted to make strides, regardless of what the rehab process was as well. And just looking at some of those clips and we can see it on the YouTube stream for us, for those in the, in the YouTube comment section, just, just seeing him go through the motions of just taking those slight dropbacks and just receiving snaps from Billy Price, I'm assuming, at center, and just getting that chemistry with the receivers. Like, I believe it was Stefania Bell of ESPN who said it. Like, having those reps and get going through those simple motions and gain, gaining that trust in your knee, it's so important. It's so so much more, more important and more impactful than just being there on the sidelines, just having that presence. Like, going and getting those reps. Like, we have to remember, this time last year, he wasn't even getting those reps because it was during, you know, the, yep. the peak of covid and he was just doing these zooms where he was like yelling to get the cadence down for Trey Hopkins. And we didn't even think he was going to be doing this now because like, oh, he's going to have two off seasons now where he's not going to have any OTA work and any work before training camp. So the fact that he's doing this now with that knee brace on getting used to that, it's so much more important. It's going to be so impactful when he finally gets to training camp and hopefully he does have basically no restrictions left. This one that we're sharing here is, is Burrow, uh, Again, I mean, there's he's thrown to Chase and I believe Higgins here as well. Um, this is, if you see this, the last rep here, this is the one that I, I thought I saw, you know, there's kind of some weight bearing going on and, and driving. And I, I don't know, I guess I just, going back to my initial point, I just did not expect this level of intensity. Now it's not, you know, uh, the dog days of training camp or preseason reps by any means, but I mean, I guess I just didn't really feel that he was this, ready or this ahead of schedule and we we heard all the rumors we talked about it even last week on the show that he is the reports are that he's ahead of schedule but i i just continue to be blown away by by this kid's rehab and i think you brought you brought up a great point one that i was going to bring up in just just a minute was the fact that these workouts and all these things maybe in all of this there is a blessing in disguise now Nobody ever wanted Joe Burrow to get hurt, obviously, but there is a bit of a blessing in disguise wherein the pandemic restrictions have lessened with these workouts, with the rehabilitation. Um, and there may be, you know, now there's a little bit of a benefit that Joe Burrow is participating in OTAs, even in a limited fashion, wherein he didn't really get that opportunity. I think everything was virtual last year, right? In terms of the OTAs and stuff. So now, the rookie last year didn't get the, the OTAs, didn't really get the preseason, got a very watered-down training camp. Now, even though he's coming back from injury, he has the benefit of going through all those steps. And 
these are things that really help the growth, especially in a season where he has to take it light. He has to take it easy at the early, early part of camps. Taking it easy right now is is still critical. And that's something that he mentioned in his post-practice press, press conference. Like, yes, he's ahead of schedule and he's able to do th- these very basic things, but it's not at a point where he can just accelerate to, to the next stage right away. It's just, it's just continuing to do what he's done and, and progressing a little bit more and a little bit more. I, I think the fact that he has been throwing since I believe like mid February, early March, it wasn't too surprising, I guess, to see him do these types of things. Now, if he was like rolling out and making these off platform yeah, yeah. throws and throwing on the run, like at, at that point, you have to assume he's just a machine. But like, I, I think this was, it was still a surprise because we still didn't know by design. Like they weren't going to say like, yeah, Joe's going to be out there. He's going to be crossing the street. He's going to light Twitter on fire. Um, they wanted to keep all that under wraps in case it ended up, you know, not happening. So it was still a surprise. But I, I think also just knowing what the process has been, knowing every update has been a positive one, and knowing that he's been basically going through these same motions for the past couple months now, to see it out there, it wasn't too surprising. But at the same time, like I, I know there were people on Twitter saying, "How's the rest of the team doing? Right? How's Jackson Carmen? Is he is he on the field with, with the starting offensive lineman? How's Trey Williams doing?" No one else is on the field right now is doing anything close to as important as a quarterback with a knee base knee brace throwing the football. Like in terms of just catch capturing on video, everything else in the practice is very mundane. They're all in shorts. They're not touching each other. They're just going through a bunch of install stuff. So just seeing him out there, it's obviously the main attraction and it's what it's what we need to talk about because again, we didn't expect this and just to see it with our own eyes. It's very special. It is. And we we're going to talk uh, about other players, offensive line, other impressions that we saw out there. Again, impressions have been a little bit limited because these are very watered down practice sessions as compared to those right in the middle of summer. But talking more, a little bit more, Joey B coming back, he is going to bring us. We haven't done one of these in a long time because there haven't been a lot of interviews and or. Uh, we usually do this kind of more regular season, but this is a soundbite of the week. This is courtesy of Bengals Media on there. You can find it on their Twitter account. You can find it on their website, the post-practice press conference. Say that three times fast. Uh, here's Joey B. Asked a question by ESPN's Ben Baby about being back at OTAs and the importance of that. So we're going to play that for you right now. Joe, sorry if you got asked this a little earlier, but uh, did you feel like it, it's, it was important for you kind of as you grow into being a leader to be involved in this OTA in some capacity? Yeah, I think that that's fair to say. I didn't want to just not show up and do my own thing. Um, you know, I'm at the point where I, I can, even if I wasn't able to do everything, if my knee was less than what it is now, I would still want to be here and be around everybody and, and communicate and, and call plays in the huddle because um, we have a lot of new faces on this team that, that need to see me there and, and see me working. So it was really important for me to be here. So aside from that, he talked about working after practice with Jamar Chase. He talked about, uh, you know, getting some extra reps there, but, uh, and we can talk about that in just a sec, but I, the thing is here, really what it is, is just the leadership, the, the the charisma and the fact that this guy from minute one, even before being drafted, he just gets it. He gets what comes with the responsibility. He gets what comes with being the quarterback, a, a guy from Ohio and being the franchise quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals. He just gets it. And the fact that he said, you know what, I, we're going to talk about the attendance level as well at OTAs, but the fact that this guy's here, he had a horrific injury. Many of these players who were on the roster witnessed it, witnessed him in agony when it occurred. The fact that <laughs> he's back there and he's saying, you know, I, I got to be here. I got to be here. I got to work. I got to, sh- I got to be an example for these guys. That to me was like, wow. And I'm sure that like, regardless of all those other factors, like, like the, the mental aspect, just like, his presence up boosting morale, which I believe he said he didn't really get that vibe, but he hoped like, it's just all stuff that we noticed, but we're not really sure that like it's noticeable on the field. Like it's not like a tangible thing, but aside from all of that, 
like he, I believe he answered a question, like, what is the importance of these practices? And he said, just back to throwing to my guys, my, my receivers, he's only been throwing to essentially ball boys for the past couple of months now. So to get back that, that rapper poor with Jamar chase and T Higgins and Tyler Boyd, and that's just the beginning now of year two for that. And, and again, going back to last year, he didn't have this not until July. And for all of last training camp, he was down. He didn't have his number one receiver for basically 90% of it. So that was a lot of going to Mike Thomas, not in taste. So the whole thing from last year was already put in a bunch of, was already put into a wrench. And there was a bunch of different variables throwing out, out of it. So now, even with that brace on his knee, it does feel like a return to normalcy. It does feel like what a traditional off season should be for an NFL quarterback. And I think you brought up a good point about just the leadership aspect of it. That's something that for most quarterbacks, you hope that they grow into that, right? I think up in Cleveland, they're now seeing that from Baker Mayfield. It took him a couple of years to really acclimate himself. I think that's what the Chargers are hoping that Justin Herbert continues to grow into. That was never a thing for Burrow. Like he didn't have those opportunities to establish that this time last year because it was all virtual, but that was never something that had to be adjusted or had to be taught for him and had he, he didn't have to experience anything new in order to obtain those types of quality qualities. He didn't need more experience in that. He was already that out of the box when they drafted him. So then now he gets to utilize that in these stages of the offseason. It's something new and it's something that could impact how they kind of start the season, especially if he doesn't really play in the preseason. The the other facet, and it, this wasn't part of the soundbite of the week, but I, I just I I think we wanted to play that for everybody just to uh, once again kind of pump everybody up aside from him being back, just his attitude with it and the, the fire behind it, the grit behind him getting back and getting back to work so early, but uh, with it as well, the guy who's recovering, the guy who is in the middle of rehab from a, a tough injury stays after practice, makes extra throws and throws the ball with Jamar chase. I think it was our good buddy, James Rapine who had asked him in the, in the uh, media round table there, kind of what was it like throwing to, to Jamar chase and you know, all of that. And I, he said, you know, we had to knock some rust off and then, you know, we stayed a little after practice, but you know, we got after it. And I mean, the guy who is rehabbing, is staying after practice and making extra throws to make sure that the chemistry is being built with the guy he had great chemistry with at LSU a couple of years ago. And all of that is true, but I think we have to address what's happening in the comments right now. Did Joe Burrow get new teeth? Cause I'm not hundred percent sure that his teeth looked any different last year. I didn't really notice his teeth. I feel like if anyone, uh, if you know, I feel like we would be qualified to know what Joe Burrow's face looked like because we stared at it all of last season. And when we reviewed everything, it kind of just feels like they were just whitened. I don't know if he had any problems with his teeth. Like I, I feel like we've we've seen him for the past two years. I don't think they look that different. They just look really shiny in the sun. I don't know. I, I would. So normally we like to share a lot of the comments here. We would share. There's so many teeth comments here. I can't even share them all. So I, I mean, we we see a lot of them. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, and I'm a guy who had braces as a young kid, and I, now I'm getting all self conscious about my teeth because you guys are so enamored with Joe Burrow's teeth and potential dental work. I don't know, Joe, if you're listening, and we know you listen to this show regularly, your teeth look wonderful, my friend. So whoever, if you did have work done. They, they did a great job, but that has been <laughs> quite a bit of chatter since uh, the, the press conference there, but he looks good on the field. His teeth look good. The guy, the guy it looks like he's well ahead of rehab and still is trying to, like you said, grow rapport with a lot of different players on this team and, and really lead by example by saying, you know, I, I could have taken it a little easier. I could have not been here. I could have just kind of watched from a sideline if I wanted to, but I, you know, I'm ready. I'm, I feel like I'm ready. I'm not doing anything stupid, but I'm going to lead by example. And that's, uh, that's admirable when it comes to Joe Burrow talking about leadership. I think you brought up this point last week, John, about Jesse Bates kind of being the ringleader of making these OTAs known as being very important to this football team, especially in a year that is very critical to a lot of different people, whether it's Zach Taylor's coaching staff and himself, whether it's players like Bates who are looking for a contract extension, Sam Hubbard, other rookies like looking to prove themselves. This is a very important year for this team in terms of showing progress. And they took a step in it. I, I don't know how big of a deal you want to make out of this, but I think having 100% of 
players there, even those who weren't able to fully participate, whether it's Joe Burrow, whether it's Trey Hopkins, CJ Uzama was out there working. That that That's a good sign. Uh, DJ Reader was there. Everybody was there. And John, I don't know if you caught the water cooler episode. The Pittsburgh Steelers, on the other hand, they had 75% of their players show up on the first day of OTAs by comparison. So uh, make of that what you will. Call them out a little bit. Well, I, I saw it on my time timeline, my Twitter timeline, and I'm going. And when you when you see the Bengals and they're they've got their hundred percent of, of players showing up, and I know players have certain opinions about OTAs, but I don't know. It just kind of spoke some volumes to me. I think as long as all the players deemed it safe, in case some of them may may not have been vaccinated, I think that this. It, it, it is it is admirable in that sense. And I think the sentiment from the players who talked about it was like, we don't really have an excuse not to show up. Like we're a team that has everything to prove because we're at the bottom of the division for the last two years. The three other teams in our division made the playoffs last year. We have nowhere to go but up and we're not going to get there unless we start putting in the work. I think in years past, if you would have seen like, know like a Geno Atkins or a Carlos Dunlap skip a few voluntary workouts you don't really make anything of it the Bengals are a team with a solid foundation you know they they make the playoffs consistently whatever it's OTAs you're not really worried about it now you're in a situation where like you don't have an excuse to to sit at home or, or to be away from your team when you need this time right they remember what happened last year remember how tough it was to really gel in last last year's off season and then it led to a sluggish start out of the gate, especially with no preseason. I think the sentiment now is that, okay, everyone, we, we feel safe here. We, we made the right adjust or we made the right compromises with what we're doing at OTAs. Everything on that is, is clear. As long as we're, we're on the same page with that, we got to get to work. We have no excuse to, to sit at home and skip out this, these things, even though they're not mandatory. I think they want to put in as much work as possible and we can call it corny or cheesy if we want, but that helps when you have, I guess, the right leaders in place. And at this point, this is Zach Taylor's roster 100%. There's only a handful of guys left from those playoff teams back five years ago. These are his leaders, and they're apparently sending the right message. They are. And, you know, aside from the franchise quarterback coming coming and participating at the level he did, like we've talked about, the fact that injured guys, veteran free agents, the high high priced guys like DJ reader who would are probably aching to be out there in full go. Um, he was there, you know, you've got all the free agents that you brought in this, this class, you know, I, I, I guess it's just was, even though it's a small thing, sometimes the small things are big things to me. And I, I just, I feel like there is a clear message about urgency, about cohesiveness and on a day that we are all celebrating Joe Burrow being back, that's just kind of icing on the cake that they had full participation. I'm with you about the safety. So obviously, you know, that, that was probably preached to all of the players there, you know, come if, if you feel it's safe and whatnot. But, um, you know, the, I, I just feel like that that's a big thing for this team, even though it's a little step and it's something in, you know, late spring, early summer, I just feel like it's a step in the right direction for a team that really needs to take a big leap in the wind column this year. And I don't think that if Burrow decided like he wasn't ready to participate or if he didn't show up, I don't think that, that would change everyone else showing up. I do think, though, that seeing him out there, it validated everybody coming together and, and doing this a, a, as a group, right? It's like, there is very minimal evidence at this point that we can talk about all we want about Zach Taylor and his ability to coach. But I think at this point, making accusations that he's lost the locker room or he doesn't have faith in another leaders and veterans. I mean, we talked about it with Mike Daniels just a month ago, like, like the guy has an impact on his players. And I think this is just another example of there being proof that Zach Taylor has not at all lost this locker room, despite the lack of results in his two years as, as the Bengals coach. And I know he knows that he has a lot to prove and he knows he needs to win now, but I think he has the support from his players, veterans and rookies and young players alike that we're here to work and we're here to do, to do what we need to do. And we're here to do with unison. Yep. Great point. Also by William house in the live YouTube chat saying 
Bengals have drafted and or brought in in free agency a lot of team captains and and you know that's kind of part of the culture that's being built so great point there um, I know that's been a point of emphasis in Zach Taylor's tenure I want to switch gears a little bit John this I think it, we, I talked about it a little bit yesterday with with good old Bengal Jim here but I, I really want to get your take on this one here this is from Dan Horde in terms of the first team offensive line. Jonah Williams at left tackle, Quentin Spain, left guard, Billy Price, center, Xavier Suofilo at right guard, Riley Reef at right tackle. Dan Horde does mention, don't read too much into it. Um, okay, but I, you know, I know that there is the, the, the recovery of Trey Hopkins. There's, you know, you gotta, you gotta let the rookie maybe battle it out a little bit in Jackson Carmen for right guard. But does any of this surprise you? What do you like? What do you don't like in terms of what you're seeing from that starting offensive lineman there? I suppose the one surprise is the lack of Carmen. Um, like I, I know that we know after the draft, it was it was said that he's going to get a chance to start, and we I think just assume that that means like he was like who else is going to start in front of him, right? Like they have Spain and Suafila, but neither player should make you hesitant of throwing your second round rookie out there to see what he can do. Um, and we don't know if like there was a different lineup today when they practiced on Wednesday. Like this is the Tuesday lineup. I know mm-hmm. that in recent mm-hmm. years they've, they've rotated a lot. And, you know, I've been covering a lot of Bengals training camps in recent years, and it's, it's always been a it's always been there have always been competitions at multiple spots because the offense line has never been a finished product in, in the summer and rarely has the first iteration been, become the finalized iteration of it. So I, I would still say, even though looking at this, I would still say that Carmen ends up becoming a starter just because mainly of draft status and youth and overall ability compared to those two veterans, it's just interesting to see, okay, which spot is he going to get first crack at? Because Quinn Spain is a natural left guard, and that's where he was in the starting lineup. They, they had Xavier Sufila at right guard last year for the beginning. That's what they signed him originally in 2020 to be. But he's also a natural left guard. So are they going to have that inevitable competition at left guard? Or are they going to keep Suofila at right guard, and make him a backup to Carmen? Or is Carmen just going to have to straight up battle one of those two veterans for that spot because we did hear, I believe, from Dave Lapham that Hakeem Adeniji is going to get some opportunities and work at left guard, I guess, presumably along with Spain. So this is the first peak of what we can see, but it's far from the final picture. Do you feel that there's any dark horse offensive lineman here that could make a push of some kind to sneak into a starting role? I mean, I know our buddies Ace and Zim – I believe it was yesterday, Tuesday, spoke with Fred Johnson. And in the interview, you can see a, a short clip on the on the Cincy Jungle Instagram page if you follow us there. Um, in the clip there, I mean, he said, I'll, I'll play anywhere. Just don't make me snap the ball at six foot eight, um, <laughs> which, which I found pretty hilarious. But I, I, I mean, a guy like that, could he sneak into a guard position ahead? I mean, he's he's got that massive size like a Jackson Carmen, who is a former tackle, you know, they're going to try and get him into guard. Do you see that? You mentioned Adenogy. Is he in the mix? Michael Jordan, can he have a career renaissance? I mean, who knows what happens with Billy Price, with Trey Hopkins? I don't know. I guess I guess we think we know what this may look like come September, but there also may be some wild cards in there. I just would not expect Fred Johnson to be a guard and – if that's the case, then you just don't expect them to start because they have their two tackles. I, I think the wild cards are Adenogy at left guard, and I guess the wildest card could be Michael Jordan. Um, when you just compare the physical traits of these guys, like say what you want about Jordan, he's not small and he's not unathletic. Like he has the traits to be a decent zone blocker. It's just the product on the field has been terrible because he wasn't that ready to play out of college and he got paired up with a terrible offensive line coach. How much progress can he make under a new offensive line coach who actually knows what he's doing? I don't know. Obviously, Pollock did draft Michael Jordan. We don't know his opinion on him. We don't know if he's even going to be on the team. I guess that is the definition of a dark horse, though, someone that you just don't expect at all. But he's still only 23 years old, and he does have those aforementioned physical traits, and he does have the fresh eyes of someone new who's going to develop him. So... Um, I would, I guess he might be the bigger dark horse in the energy who 
to his credit, is, is still athletic, but he doesn't have necessarily the size and the and the physical gifts that Michael Jordan has. And that's what makes that's what made him intriguing coming out of Ohio State. But he lasted to the end of the fourth round for reasons. So I guess he would be the the bona fide dark horse of this battle. Yeah, they they like Adenogy, uh, and they like his ability to potentially play a lot of different spots. That's what that's what they were raving about with him last year. But again, to your point, we know or at least we think we know that the Bengals are giving a lot of responsibility and a lot of sway to Frank Pollock this year to right the ship and to get the right combination of players there up front. Um, you know, I, they, they gave him the run game coordinator title as well as offensive line coach. So, you know, he's, he's going to be wearing multiple hats and he's going to be tasked with a lot. And I know that Adenogy wasn't his guy, quote unquote, that he drafted, um, but you know, I, I think there are still a lot of some high hopes for him. I, Billy Price was drafted the year the Frank Pollock was here, uh, so maybe there's maybe there's some hope there. Um, I think at this point, you know, Price is probably going to be relied upon at least early on as the uh, a stable presence, hopefully at center, while Trey Hopkins continues to rehab. But um, you know, I, th- there are a lot of different wild cards here. But I, I, again, the big deal, like you said, the big battles are at the guard spots. We we think we've got an idea as to what's going on there, but um, we have we still have some things yet to see from Jackson Carmen. The, the just again, we're gonna we're gonna switch gears again here on Wednesday, John. The Cincinnati Bengals made an acquisition off of waivers going to the defensive side of the ball. Now, uh, Joe Batchy, the linebacker, and I, we talked about him on the water cooler chat because he was originally, uh, he, he was let go by the Eagles because they acquired a, a defensive lineman from the Baltimore Ravens, who was a former fourth round pick name escapes me at the moment, but, uh, they kind of made a, a swap out there. And, and so Batchy an undrafted free agent, uh, who was picked up by the saints, then moved on to the Eagles had a pre-draft visit with the Bengals, and there was some interest there. The Bengals obviously went a lot of different directions at linebacker in the draft last year, but uh, they had some interest there, and obviously they, now they brought him in as a waiver wire pickup. So um, I, I've got a little information there on him, but if you want to share some more and where you think the fit is, uh, I know we'd love to hear it. Yeah, if, I mean, if you had told me before that draft that they were going to draft three linebackers, I would have assumed that Batshu would have been one of them. Um, like you said, he did have that pre-draft visit with the Bengals. He checked all the boxes in terms of production, athleticism. He was a team captain. He was a multi-year yeah. starter. It made so much sense. The one, I guess, negative about him was that while he ran like a fast 40 and a fast three cone on the field, he played a bit stiff at Michigan State. You know, you don't, you don't really invest that high, invest that highly or invest that much in relatively unathletic linebackers, which is why he went undrafted. He was also suspended for the final five games of the 2019 season at Michigan State for testing positive for a performance-enhancing drug. Mm. So that was some type of a red flag. We don't know what the, the Bengals eventually thought of him. Um, I don't. We don't know if they were in the mix to sign him as a college free agent last year, but that's, that's the thing about scouting, right? Just because you scout a draft class for the year of that draft class doesn't mean you forget about these players. Like these teams – had these reports on players from past drafts and when they become available in, in this case, and they have not a lot of bodies at one position, th- that connection is still there. And they, they know him from Michigan state. They don't really know what he did. Like he didn't do that much in 2020. I think he only played in a handful of games for the Eagles, which is why they picked him up off the saints practice squad. And he played mostly on and he played mostly on special teams, which is what you would expect him to be. If he does make this team, I believe he's the seventh or eighth, linebacker on this team right now and he's behind Marcus Bailey he could even be behind Keandre Jones but a lot of people are asking is Josh Bynes going to come back I think but but Batchy or Bachi, however you say his last name I don't think he erases that possibility but this could be the veteran linebacker addition that gets that position group to the appropriate amount of bodies for training camp this uh, it reminds me of the um, the Austin Calitro acquisition last year too. Um, you know, it just it's just another guy they seem to like, and some training camp competition. Jordan Evans is a holdover from the Marvin Lewis era. They did, I believe, they did just resign him though uh, in free agency. So obviously, there's um, some some interest there and some level of comfort there, and that may be a, you know a special teams value type of thing, but. Obviously, Kalitra, the Bengals had a had a 
conundrum at the end of final cuts and everything last year at linebacker because the three they brought in plus Calitro plus Josh Bynes, they just ran out of room and overhauling that position group. And that's when they made the trade. Uh, they traded Calitro to get Christian Covington. Uh, if you remember that one. So they, they still were able to, to kind of swap around and do some different things. I wanted to share this. Uh, this is, you guys know, I like uh math bomb here at math bomb. Ken Lee Platt on Twitter. This is the RAS score of Joe Batchy. You you see here the relative athletic score is pretty good, 8.26. Size, not that great in terms of a linebacker measured in at 6 foot 1, 230. Um, And then you see here the speed grade uh, was great. He had a 4.67 40-yard dash at the combine, 2.69 20-yard split, 1.59 10-yard split. Um, and then a good explosion grade here. Uh, but like you said, it, it was more th- it was more like these numbers were inflated by a guy who really prepared to do decent in these areas, whereas the tape didn't tell the whole tale a little bit smaller. And then again, a, a position that was devalued a bit. You factor in the suspension and all that kind of stuff. But this is at least, John, a snapshot of some of the, the workout numbers for him. Right. And that's my that's my personal reservation with RES is that you can have a higher you can have a high score while not being that big. And that can kind of put those numbers into some misguided context. Like any any guy who's on the small side for his position, he can test fast and and, and quick and explosive. When you compare him to guys who are of higher density, you tend to kind of stand out not in, a, in a not so good way. So I don't think he's a bad athlete, like a four, six, seven, 40 is nothing to sneeze that when you're at two thirty. but again, mm-hmm. like you're, you're not expecting much from him anyways. They have their starters. They have their main backups. They just need guys that can fill up the, the rest of the team. He'll get a bunch of chances in training camp or in training camp and the preseason. It's just a matter of, is this the only thing that they're going to do at linebacker last off season? They had like 10, because they were just they just wanted to solve it. Now I think they're at seven or eight with him. I think that should be enough to just get through the offseason. We'll see if he makes the, we'll see if he makes the team though, because I think they have five guys that they should be comfortable with without him. What's been the problem with the Bengals, particularly on defense in recent years, John? Lack of depth when they've had injuries, when they've had problems with de- developmental guys that haven't worked out. They've relied on you know veteran rental deals that sort of thing. They need depth. They need talent. They need young, healthy players that that can contribute. And unfortunately, as we all know, you alluded to earlier that the Bengals have been very, very unfortunate with the injury bug. Um, that's that has been a point of emphasis for sure, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Get depth. Get depth on, on the front portion. Uh, really, everywhere on defense. I mean, they they have depth everywhere now on defense you know you can go all the way back to the the ricardo allen acquisition at safety all of the corners they brought in over the last couple of years i mean they've got depth now and now linebacker they add in joe batchy with a slew of other uh players that they brought in from the 2020 class and there you have it so anything else you want to get to before we talk about a couple of other things that may or may not ruffle some feathers coming up here but uh, anything else from OTAs that we did not or I did not cover that you want to mention John uh, nothing really much in regards to OTAs but I do think it might be time to talk about our partner in symbol if you're okay with that I, I am okay with that <laughs> uh, if you guys do not know symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams just like stocks it really is that simple every team has a symbol price attached to it and those prices move based on you guys, the users. Right now, Sim Bengals still above 60 bucks. I'm not sure if it's taken that usual dip. We've talked a lot about the Symbol Bengal price, Sim Bengals price. But let's talk about some other prices that we're seeing around the league too. So behind the Bengals in second place, if you will, is the Sim Chiefs at $49.94. Mm. So compared to the Bengals, not so bad value. But the one that I'm looking at right now, Anthony, on the Symbol market, the Sim Bears sending at $36.73. Now this is interesting because again, symbol is a long-term investment. It's like investing in blue chip stocks. If you will, you're playing for the long game. You're not just 
throwing a, your life savings at, Do- at Dogecoin or, or or whatever the new crypto is and trying to make a quick buck. It's very much of a long-term type of type of a deal. It's the Simbaris has risen up to about $36 um, a- after they drafted Justin Fields. That could be an interesting long-term play in, in that in NFC North. But if you want to invest in any of these teams in the NFL, the MLB, or the NBA, you guys know which teams are good and bad. Symbol gives you the the opportunity to take advantage of that knowledge and make some actual money off of it. How can you join the 2,000 early adopters who have already started to invest? You visit www.symbol.app. That's www.simbull.app backslash OBI and use the promo code OBI for a $10 deposit bonus. We want to save you guys money so you can start making money faster. Symbol.app backslash OBI. Great to have Symbol aboard as a partner, and I love how you how you worded that about the long play because really, when you're talking about any kind of stock market situation, that is how one should look at it as a as an investment. It is a long play, but go and the website is in all of the live chats, whether it's Cincy Jungle Facebook page, the two Twitter accounts that we stream live from at Bengals OBI and at Cincy Jungle or our YouTube account. You can go to that website and get your $10 deposit bonus if you sign up with Symbol and invest in the Bengals. Want to also remind folks that this program, if you are unable to join us live, whether it's for this show, whether it's for our listener questions live that we do a couple of times a month on Fridays or the usual Monday, occasional Tuesday water cooler chat, Uh, You can do so on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page, on our YouTube channel, on a couple of Twitter accounts that I mentioned just a a minute ago. And then, of course, you can get this program on your favorite audio streamer, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the major ones were there under the Cincy Jungle podcast channel. And in there, aside from our glorious show, are the ones from Ace and Zim, Orange is the New Black, a great program there. Go check that out, as well as Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk. And his videos are also up on our YouTube channel and CincyJungle.com. So always go give those other shows a listen to as well. Subscribe to the podcast channel. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can get notified when we go live, when new content is available, and you can be the first one to catch all of our stuff. And we appreciate all the support as usual. John, I'm I'm hesitant to go here. I really, really am. I'm almost kind of like, should we just cut cut this show off and and be done? But uh, I, <laughs> I I can't wait to see the reaction to this one. But I guess we'll do it. We'll do the state your case this week. There is an article up on CincyJungle.com. I will share it. Do not worry, but. For some reason, Carson Palmer just lives rent-free in Bengals fans' mind. And John, you had the distinct pleasure of putting up this article on CincyJungle.com. There are so many layers to this. The first one, if you read this, and I'll, I'll talk about some quotes that I found just incredible in this article. Um When Carson Palmer was drafted by the Bengals, apparently he had several agents that were representing him and or those in his inner circle telling him to avoid going to the Bengals number one overall. As you read through this article, there are a lot of different nuggets in here that are just eye-opening. But as you scroll to the comment section, and I'm sure we're going to start looking at the comment section here, why are we talking about Carson Palmer when, of course, Joe Burrow makes his return? We are so far away from Carson Palmer He is in the rearview mirror. Well, you know what? State your case is about opinion. State your case is about uh, us playing jazz a little bit in terms of those opinions. So bear with us because if you look at the comment section here, there is, why, why are you writing about this? Why are you writing about this? Well, number one, of course there are OTAs and we're covering the hell out of that on the website and the podcast. Number two, it is still summer. It's not training camp. It's not preseason. It's not the regular season. So there are other things that we got to, give you content about, but this is interesting, interesting stuff. And it also in some way may allow some people to be appreciative of what the Bengals have now in their quarterback. So going here, this is the interesting, this is the interesting nugget here. Uh, Everybody told me that meaning to avoid the Bengals. Palmer said every agent I interviewed before I walked into the interview 
already had a route to avoid the Bengals, but I loved it. I was told don't go there. It was a quarterback graveyard. Your career will not be what it could have been if you end up there. Quote, this is the, this to me, John, this paragraph I'm highlighting here. Going to try and highlight it all. Palmer said the agent he hired, David Dunn of Athletes First, asked him what he wanted to do. Palmer told him he wanted to play for the Bengals. Before he hired Dunn, Palmer said there was a plan to get the Chicago Bears to trade up for him, and all he had to do was to tank his pro day. Couldn't even believe that. I, I, I just could not believe what I was reading there. Tank his pro day. So there are a lot of layers here. I guess the top layer is, you know what? We're going to talk Carson Palmer. He is a major, major controversial figure in Cincinnati Bengals history. He was a very productive player. And I think, unfortunately, Carson Palmer will always live rent-free in our minds because of what could have been, the way he exited. And unfortunately, since we're not going to always talk about him weekly on this show, and we're not going to talk about him all the time on CincyJungle.com, but when there's news... We're going to talk about him. And to me, John, I don't know if this is still a prevalent thing, but tanking a pro day, an agent telling a quarterback, I know this is almost 20 years ago now, but tanking a pro day? I can't even believe that. When I read that, I was like, I almost fell out of my chair. If you made a Venn diagram of Carson Palmer on one side and Joe Burrow on the other side, there's not a lot of differences that you could place in the exterior bubbles. Like when Carson started out, I mean, what, what he said, it matched very similar to what Joe Burrow said in the pre-draft process. There was a bunch (laughs) of manufactured noise about, are you sure you want to go to the Bengals? And Burrow was like, yeah, of course I want to be picked first. I want to go to the Bengals. Like why, why would you not want to be the best? Why would you not want to be, Showing that you are better than every everyone else of your peers. Why would you want to purposely destroy your own image so that a team may not take you because the perception of said team is in the gutter? Like it's it matched very similar to Burrow, and obviously the college careers match very similarly. Both won a Heisman. Both were the top quarterbacks taken in their class. Both had these like golden boy type personas. Someone, someone in the comments section just said that Carson has been fake since day one. That couldn't be further from the truth. And I don't think he ended fake either. And I'm, I will remain on this hill. He said things that not a lot of people were comfortable saying because that was his career that he saw not going in the right direction. And he took a stand to the front office. Like that happened eight, nine years after all the stuff. It didn't start off bad at all. There were people that told him not to do this. He could have pulled an Eli Manning if he wanted to, he had so many opportunities to do so. And he chose the opportunity that confirmed that he, that he could go to the Bengals and he did everything that he could. So the Bengals could confirm that decision for him. So yeah, it is ridiculous to read some of the stuff and actually see it true. Like these are things that you imagine could be possible, but not for the team that you cover, not for the team that you invest your time in. Like it wouldn't happen to you and it wouldn't happen to the quarterback that your team is placing all their faith in. It didn't start off bad. It, it started off very good. It started off very amicable. Everybody in this comment section would say that they were a fan of Carson Palmer when he was playing for the Bengals. Did it end well? Of course not. It didn't start bad, though. It's easy for us to sit here and go, ah, Carson Palmer, he quit on the team. Uh, for those who are old enough to remember, think back to 05. And how long it had been since the Bengals had been to the playoffs, how exciting that team was. And it was essentially, yes, Chad Johnson. Yes, TJ Hushmanzada. Yes, that offensive line. Yeah, the opportunistic defense as well. But Carson Palmer was in the conversation from all the national media, all the talking heads. There are three quarterbacks in the league right now that are stars. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, and Carson Palmer is an ascending star with those. That was the con- that was the topic of conversation that entire year. Now, I am really glad that you brought up the, the Venn diagram analogy with Joe Burrow because think back, if, you, if you've been watching or listening to this entire episode so far, think back to our soundbite of the week. Think back to all the praises and all the things that we said about Joe Burrow. And I think when you, when you look back at Carson Palmer, if you have this major disdain 
uh, for him, you can you can at least look at the quarterback they have now and say, yeah, there are some differences here. One thing, though, speaking of 05, John, a lot of people forget this one as well. Carson Palmer worked his ass off to come back from that knee injury and play week one. He wasn't the same guy in 06 as he was 05, still very effective, but I think we can give him credit for that. I, look, the thing ended terribly. You can say the team surrounded him with talent. You can say the team failed him. You can say all these different things. There's a lot of right, you know, correct logic on both sides of that argument. But, you know, look, I, I think just the, the overarching thing or theme that I got out of reading that the comment section of that story. And I mean, aside from that unbelievable tank your pro day thing, it, the guy just is he's going to live rent free in Bengals fans minds until Joe Burrow gets him to through the playoffs and potentially a Super Bowl because it's just that it's always what could have been with Carson and he was he was supposed to, you know the supposed savior savior and it was so close a couple of times it was so close but never materialized i'm i'm still like the bears were drafting 14th in that draft, I, I was originally thinking that that was the draft where they were the drafted Cedric Benson. That would have been a whole thing because the two ended up being teammates, anyways. <laughs> There's drafting 14th. Were they thinking about trading up? For, like, how how could that have worked? Like, if, if does Palmer just throw everything into the dirt? Does he like just spike every throw at his pro day? People are like, what is this dude on drugs? Like, do, do the Bears trade up with the Bengals to just take him despite that pro day, knowing that it was just a it was a facade, or does do they think that he drops all the way? To, I, I don't, I don't understand it at all. I don't understand how these conversations actually happen, and how much power these agents think that they actually have to manipulate what thirty-one other teams end, end up doing. But it, it it is it is wild to think about. But also with with the ACL thing, like I, I mean, I was just a kid at the time. I don't know the timeline of how these injuries and these recoveries have progressed. But I feel like two thousand six is still it was still early on to see anybody come back from an ACL injury that quickly. I feel like it was probably one of the first of, of his time to have that quick of a recovery. It, it was, it was, it was, it was not as optimistic that he was going to start and play the beginning of the season back then as it is and seems to be right now with Joe Burrow. Uh, you know, I mean, you're talking again, 15, 16 years later. So different story, but Look, I mean, I again, we're mo- we've all in a in a lot of respects have moved on. Some fans may have fully moved on, and I'm seeing a couple people going, "Carson, who? Why are we talking about this?" I, I, I knew those comments were coming. They were there in this in the story as well. So predictable, I'm sure. After the fact, when people watch the recording, they'll leave comments and say, "Why are you talking about this?" Well, he, he, he's he's in our head, and the and the stories and the words and. Here's the thing, John, too, with it. We still don't really fully know the whole deal because Carson hasn't come out and said he's kind of gave us little nuggets. He's kind of said, you know, they didn't do their part. I just felt like it was time for a change. And he was he's been still a bit diplomatic about it. But there's been some stuff behind closed doors, obviously, between that relationship that hasn't been divulged. And I think still, even though we've moved on and we're now in Joe Burrow and, and things are headed likely in a much better direction than they ever were going to be in in Car- the Carson Palmer era, I, I think we still kind of go, what what happened? What really happened? Because it's never it, – it, what happened, it was rare. And I don't think it's – like we, we, we're seeing it now kind of with Deshaun Watson and maybe Aaron Rodgers a little bit. But that – when it happened in 2010, like that never really happened before. Like you never saw a player utilize his leverage like that, which is why we still talk about it even 10 years after the fact. And the fact that – he was hyped up to be this quarterback. And for the most part, you know, in terms of his overall ability, he lived up to that hype. So it, it is just about like the fact that there's still a lot of what ifs. And I think just how rare of a situation that it was and the aftermath of it all. Like, I, I think that there are fans that said, yeah, we, I mean, they made five playoff appearances. Carson Palmer got his playoff win a few years later. I think for the most part, both sides came out on top. You see here, Loki, uh, by the way, that series comes out soon, I believe, uh, on on Disney Plus. If you are so inclined and a subscriber, you could probably watch that. But uh, maybe Disney Plus will 
be a be an advertiser on the program too. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I like Palmer. I think ownership was in the wrong then, is what Loki says. And then, of course, the comment right after in the YouTube channel, never let Palmer in the ring of honor uh, from Stephen Smith. So I, I don't even know if that'll be a point of discussion. They've already got two quarterbacks <laughs> that they're trying to get into the ring of honor there. Palmer, obviously, still statistically one of the best quarterbacks ever to put on a Bengals uniform. But I don't know if that acrimonious ending there will will ever lead to him in the ring of honor. Look, I know this is, this is Joey B week. I know we've all moved on, but that article prompted some, some thoughts from John and I, and I think until we either know the full story and, or we see Joey B reach the potential that we all know he has in him and, and see this team heading in, uh, in terms of direction under his franchise quarterback watch, I I think we're all going to kind of still, when Carson Palmer drops, drops some, interesting nuggets i think we'll all still kind of at least look at it from the periphery at least i will john i don't know about you i mean it, it's intoxicating it really is like and i think you said it best he he keeps dropping nuggets like i think the the the, the lead of that story was just when we think we've heard everything about carson palmer's bengal's career more information is is revealed and every new piece of information is a little bit more juicier than the last so you're damn right we're going to keep talking about it <laughs> Tank the pro day. I still can't get over it. That is just like unbelievable. Let's drop the mic and get out of here. John, what do you have for us, buddy? So I just wanted to plug uh, Joe Mixon's pro camp again. If you guys don't know about it, Joe Mixon is hosting his um, youth football camp at Sycamore High School later in the offseason. I believe June 12th and 13th are the official dates. Just to give an update on that, you can visit ProCamps.com backslash Joe Mixon to, to register. And also, I, I believe this happened in, in the last week or so. Jamar Chase is going to be a special guest at the Pro Camp. I think in years past, like AJ Green and Mixon had some type of, of a co partnership as well, but obviously Green is in Arizona now. So Mixon's going to have his new teammate, Jamar Chase, there as well. But yeah, June 12th to the 13th at Sigmore High School, about 15 minutes northeast of downtown Cincinnati for those who aren't familiar with the Cincinnati area, uh, boys and girls from grades one to eight, definitely check it out. If, if you're interested in signing your kid up. Very cool. And Cincy jungle, I think you mentioned is the media sponsor of that event. Yes, right? they are. So, yeah. So pretty cool. We've uh, yeah, we're, we're hoping to, to see some cool stuff from, from that. And obviously a great cause there. I just want to say a thank you to uh Bengal Jim. And obviously he's got his, his great own show and a huge following on social media and whatnot, but go check out the event that we talked about on the show yesterday, the water cooler chat show, June 19th. It's a, it's a March to the hall where it's bringing recognition, rightful recognition to a lot of Bengals players. That's the rally that they are going to do to the, at the pro football hall of fame. And obviously some cool events and tours and all that kind of stuff scheduled too. So go check that out. And then I want to say thank you once again to Jason Von Stein. He on Wednesday allowed me and us to go on. He had a little uh, philanthropic rally called uni watch 22 um, where it was kind of, I don't know, rally people talking about uniforms and all this kind of stuff. And then it has these unique performers and all these things. And he had us on the show right, or, or myself talking about this show to promote it. And also the charity that I, that I run in my sister's name. So uh, it was very cool to have, a, have a platform. We actually saw some donations from that in terms of the, the charity that my family runs. So uh, appreciative of Jason to not only want to give that charity some recognition, but also the, the show, John, he's, he's, huge supporter of this show as you know and uh you know it's it kind of cool i guess opening up some people to you know they may not be Bengals fans but at least opening up that we have a show he likes it his dad likes it and uh it, it's all good so it's a pretty cool event and i'm i know you're appreciative of it as well but uh it was pretty cool to to sit there and kind of talk about a couple of things with them today so I joined the show in 2018, but I'm, I believe he was an OG listener, right? He's been around longer than I have. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think he's, I think he's kind of been a day oneer. So um, he supplied music for us for this show. He's, he's called into the listener questions. He's usually in the live. I think, I, I think he's not in the live chat tonight because he's, I think that thing is a marathon thing that he's doing tonight all through the night. So um, he's, he's benefiting all kinds of different charities from from people he's had on so it's 
it's a pretty cool deal. John, thanks. Thanks for what you do and what you bring to the show, my man. Uh, Maybe maybe we'll hold off on the Carson Palmer talk for a little while now on the show. We, we hit our quota. We hit our quota. Yeah, we did. We did. We did. So hopefully we didn't lose all kinds of subscribers and listeners for talking uh, the former number nine as well as the current number nine. But Joey B is back. It's time to be happy. Bengals fans, thanks for tuning in. This has been the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We will catch you soon. Get the show how you can on your favorite audio streaming platform. Try and join us live when we hit the air. Subscribe to our channels. We'll see you soon.